new beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Dr. Joshua Black. Uh, it's a beautiful day outside. Don't you think, Joshua? Dr. Joshua Black? <laughs> yes, Sean. It's a great day outside. The sun is shining. The dog's panting. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he sure is. Um, yeah, and we get uh, the opportunity to speak to another individual. That's uh, what we love to do. So on today's podcast, we have Lindsay Chula, and she is an artist and musician who grew up in Medina, Ohio. Her father was her high school band director and also one of her best friends. Also known as DJ La Chula, Lindsay hosts her own radio show on WGRN 94.1 LPFM in Columbus, Ohio. She is also involved in activism through her volunteer work at the community radio station and with Vegan Shift. Her show, Peaks and Valley, streams live every Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern on www.wgrn.org. Episodes are also available for streaming and download by searching Peaks and Valleys on archive.org. Lindsay, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I should have said that like a radio person. Man, that would have been great. <laughs> you want to try it again? We'll try it again. Lindsay hosts her own radio show on WGRN 94.1 LPFM in Columbus, Ohio. Ohio, Ohio. <laughs> Ohio, 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 Ohio. <laughs> Shout out to the Ohio folks. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate it. We appreciate the shout out. That's funny. Do you have a radio voice? Is that what you do too? Um, yeah, I, I do the public service announcements and a lot of the yeah. station IDs and stuff. So you'll hear me pop on and say like, you are listening to 94.1 WGRN LPFM, the Green Renaissance. Wow. Oh, is it good? Wow. Thank you, guys. I've never gotten good. a live response. You know, I usually <laughs> yeah. just record in a lonely studio. No, that was great. That was smooth. I like yeah, it. Yeah, my radio voice is a little less sassy than my speaking <laughs> voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be funny if radio hosts and DJs talked uh, like in a sassy, kind of normalish voice. I think that <laughs> people would be driving in the cars going, what the hell? What's going on? <laughs> I guess that's more of the podcast genre where people keep it real, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we <laughs> have to. That's funny. And so how do you come up with your name? DJ Lechula. Well, it's uh, it's just a play on my last name. I just spell it <laughs> phonetically. <laughs> you know, Fancy. my name's Lindsay. I was, when, people, when I started, like, spinning records and doing all this stuff, I was like, people were like, so what's your DJ name going to be? I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> and so I was just like, oh, I guess it's going to be DJ Lechula because... <laughs> Everybody already knows me as that anyway, so I think it's I think it's pretty good. It's very cool. No, it's uh, always like making up names is, is interesting from like your kids' names, dogs' names, to even like your make-believe names or DJ names. We just, uh, we had a person Absolutely. on the podcast who uh, is a, oh, was it roller derby? And they make up their names <laughs> for <laughs> like on the back of their shirts. So it's having their real names. So anyways, uh, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And so you said it's really lonely. So why did you go to DJ? I'm guessing it's because of like, we'll get to your past, but you know, your family and stuff. But like, why DJing now? Is that something you've always wanted to do? Um, I've always been a musician since day one. Like I said, it comes from both my parents were band directors. My dad just happened to be the one who was directing, who was teaching in my school system. So he was my band director, but I grew up in like a musical family 
and I've been collecting records for years and it's just been a matter of time I think until I was going to actually like you know use them outside of my house um when I had a couple of head injuries it prevented me from being able to play French horn anymore which is one of my first musical loves it kind of the head pressure didn't really work so well I'm actually getting that ability back again which I'm really excited about but in the meanwhile I still wanted to share music with people somehow and so spinning my records seemed like the right move oh my goodness I played French horn in grade nine <laughs> for a year Get out yeah <laughs> I well, uh, you know what kind of special nerd I am I yeah oh definitely <laughs> so I got to music class late and all the good <laughs> all the other instruments that I thought were cool were taken. Oh my god! So my the guy, the teacher, really nice guy. He says, "All right, so I got two for you. I got a flute and I got a French horn." And at that time, I was a little bit too insecure to play a flute. Uh, Will Ferrell, I think Will Ferrell made it cool back then. Yeah, that was before my, yeah, that was <laughs> yeah, before flute. that time. But um, I started playing the French horn, and I really grew to love it. It's such a the sound. In, in soundtracks and movies and scores is like the noblest sound. Um, wow. Right? And it it's is just, epic. It's the yeah. sound that like, rises up over everything. When some, that's, what I, that's exactly how I describe it to people because they're like, what does a French horn do? You know, oh, and it's incredible. like, well, it's actually super epic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love playing. Unless it's a march. Unless it's a march, and then it's boring. <laughs> and you don't hear it. I loved uh, like the movie scores, like Jurassic Park and uh, Indiana Jones, and, and and you hear it, you hear the French horn, yeah. like just beautifully. So yeah, I grew to love it. It was really, it's difficult to get used to a blowing instrument, I think, because you know the lips and all that. But once I got that, it was it was really enjoyable to play. Not as heavy as a tuba, so I could take it home. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's awesome. That you. How long did you play French horn for? Well, it's funny you said flute because before French horn, I played flute a little bit. Like my mom was a flute player. So she just started teaching me at home, like second grade, maybe. So by the time I hit fifth grade and it's time to like start band at school, which of course, like the band director's kid is going to do. They were like, well, what are you going to play? And I, they encouraged me. They're like, you know, Lindsay, you can always play flute, but like you are, you're going to be really bored for a while because you already mm -hmm. know how to play this instrument. So they encouraged me to try something else. And I actually went to Blossom, which is the, um, it's the outdoor home of the Cleveland Orchestra in the summertime. It's this big, beautiful outdoor setting where they play. And the Star of Indiana was playing. They had like 30 French hornists in a row on stage wow. playing. And I, th I was like, I want to play that. That's, I'll do that one. So that was, that was how it started. That was in fifth grade. I started and I'm 34 years old now. So I guess with the exception of a medical hiatus, I've been playing for over 20 years. Oh, that's well fantastic. That's amazing. Yeah. And yeah, I, 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 um, I get that vibe where when you're musically inclined, it's, you naturally kind of gravitate to other instruments. But I think that's, that's a great idea to kind of shift it and, and get a different perspective and, and kind of see it from a different angle. Because it's also like, you're not only learning the other instrument, you're learning how the instrument is used. And in, especially in an orchestra and different parts mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah, the flute you... and French horn totally have different roles. Oh, there. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Flute's always like a solo. It's <laughs> like a, a little light scene, you know. In the, the birds woods. are chirping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's being rescued, whatever. Oh, um, my gosh. <laughs> what other instruments do you play? Um, well, you know, I'm I'm not super great at piano, but I've been good enough at it to teach piano lessons to youngins. Um, mm. I played cello as a kid. I've 
dabbled with bass. I've I'm one of those people that because my parents are band directors, I can kind of pick up any instrument and get get my way around it. But, you know, I just more than anything these days, I'm I'm actually a singer. (laughs) I sing a lot, too. So it's it's you know, I'm I like Prince. I I like Prince a lot because he played all those instruments himself and he he's a real well-rounded musician. And I think that's like what I aspire to be, you know? Yeah, I'm never going to be as good as Prince, but you get what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. It's good to have those type of role models. Uh, I I know for me, I I have a different level of interest in a person or a band who can do those things. Like if a person can sing and also kind of whatever, make their own track or play instruments. That's different. It's I think because we get the mainstream side where some artists don't necessarily do that or don't necessarily write their own songs. So when you do get one that does a bunch of stuff, it's always like a little more interesting. It stands out. Wow. What were some of your, so um, you were mentioning records. What are some of your favorite records to to play on the radio station? Oh, to play on. I mean, I just play everything that I have because I have like an hour every week and I do no repeats. So on my show, so I play everything I have, but it's a lot of like funk and jazz um you know Idris Muhammad peace of mind has been one of my favorite songs this past year um Madame X just that type of girl is some heavy 80s electro funk that people don't even know about that I play like at house <laughs> parties when I'm trying to get them at like one in the morning that's pretty fun but I also mix in you know I I have music from you know I was playing like the Pixies the other day and I was playing you know some like random uh what what did I have out like a bunch of like Bob Marley and the specials and like just everything man just everything oh that's so cool that's good to me (laughs) no I like that mix and I like uh I like the variety these days I get kind of bored with radio uh mainly because uh the main ones at least they don't uh they don't have a lot of variety hearing the same song like 20 times a day but you know, sometimes I'll switch on to like a a radio station. Um, if I get like the reception, I'll I'll I'll, I'll hit up a really local niche one, and then I get some variety. But mm-hmm. no, that sounds well, that's amazing. What I'm trying to curate. Yeah, sounds like you've got a good mix going on, and uh, I'm sure the people of Ohio appreciate it. <laughs> Hopefully, is that the Peaks and Valley show that you're talking about? Where yeah. you incorporate the music? Okay. Oh yeah, that's that's my music show. Yep. Okay. That's a great name. I try to have like minimal banter and maximum music on that show, but I do drop some knowledge bombs here and there and <laughs> add a little bit on there. You so. drop factoids? You know, just just the little ones. <laughs> Did you know an elephant weighs? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> well, more about like what I'm playing. But oh, okay. <laughs> that'd be pretty funny if I just dropped random facts throughout my music show. <laughs> <laughs> what was that, that one guy? What was that one? Okay, we used to get this American radio show. We still do probably. That that guy in the morning who uh, Kid Carson or something. I forget his name, but he has that voice. Oh. And he's always, oh, top 10, or maybe Ryan Seacrest took it over from this guy. And it was always on the weekend. Casey Kasem. Casey Kasem. Yeah, oh he, I love that guy because he'd always oh give these God. facts. You know, it's funny. I used to listen to Casey Kasem with my dad when he would drive me to my cello lessons in fourth grade. He would drive yeah. me up every Saturday to this college to take cello lessons because I was a band director's kid. And they're like, oh, we want to give her the best experience. Like, they were so awesome about that. And, you know, I would go in there and my my lesson teacher was a real stuffy guy. Honestly, I wasn't 
a huge fan of him, but I loved driving with my dad every set. I loved the time we got together. And we would listen to Casey Kasem, and he would he would comment on the guy's voice. He would be like, man, he's really got – he's been doing this for years. He's really got a voice. <laughs> Did you know yeah. a cello is an adult violin? Like, stuff oh like that. Yeah. Well, that's so interesting that your dad was a, a part of that. And so – Actually, I think it's a good time to actually talk about your dad and who he was sure. in your life and, you know, the effects of his loss on your life, too. So if you want to go back to maybe just the beginning and as a kid, how did you see your dad? You say he was your best friend. I think that's interesting because most I know my parents aren't my best friend, but they are my friends. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah, my totally. Mom just shed a tear. <laughs> but like, you know, I'm, I think a lot of you can have more than yeah. one best friend, you know, of course, but yeah. He's like throughout the past 34 years of my life, he's been my best friend through so much of it. It's insane. Pretty special connection. So did it start right in the beginning? Like as you, or was it something you developed as you aged? Um, a, a little of both, you know, I think that, you know, we had a, I, I grew up, I had three younger brothers. I was the oldest and I was the only girl. And there was definitely like a special connection there. Also, my dad's mother passed away when my mom was pregnant with me. So I never got to meet my grandma Felicia, but I'm her namesake. I'm Lindsay Felicia Chula. And I came out and I had red hair and she had red hair and they were just like, so I think, you know, there was an extra sweet connection there just because like my dad had just gone through the loss that I'm experiencing with him right now. And immediately after, you know, like, you know, his, his wife was pregnant when this happened. My mom was pregnant with me, you know, and they, she gave birth to me. So I think, yeah, I think that the connection's been from the jump, if anything, just because of that. You know, it's it's a really special connection that we have. And growing up, you know, my dad just, in our, in our big, beautiful, loud family, my dad was like the peacekeeper. He was like the, the grounded one. And he would hold us all, he would hold us all down. You know what I mean? Um he was, he's a really cool dude. And I don't know, I just, if, if there was a, if there was ever any point in my life, uh, especially when I was like a teenager, you know, a, a teenage girl can definitely have some um, emotional stress going on and like some, uh, some things that they don't want to talk about to anybody. Well, he would always get me to talk. Everyone would go to bed and my dad and I would end up, I would sit in his office with him and we would talk until like midnight and he would be the only one that I could tell everything to. Anything that upset me, anything that made me mad, he'd get it out of me. And I'm a pretty secretive person. So like, you know, how people say like someone's their person. My dad was my person. Like he so, just, he was always there. He was, he was my rock. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So what was his trick to get you to talk? He was just such a patient and understanding person. Mm -hmm. I, I used to watch him do it. I mean, my dad was like a father figure to so many people other than just us four kids, like to students and like our friends growing up who didn't have like the best parent situations. He wasn't like Mr. Rogers. He was like cool <laughs> and reserved. And but he'd also be really vibrant and zesty. We're, he, you know, like I said, he's Sicilian. Um, you know, he just he just had this laugh and this yell and like he would he would like just. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. I'm kind of just rambling because it's just, he was just a spe such a special guy. I don't even know how to explain it properly with words, but he just had this way of listening to people and letting you get everything out and, you know, 
maybe giving you a hug and calming you down. And then he, and then he'd like just re- thoughtfully respond to you. He he would just take the time to listen. And so many people just don't do that. You know, he would listen to whatever you had to say. He used to take kids into the back office after, after band and have heart. You know, I'd see like girls like crying on his shoulder. Like, you know, some, some girl broke up with her boyfriend during band that night. And she's, and she just, so she goes to my dad and talks to him. Like he, he did this for everyone. Wow. It seemed like it was just like such an amazing individual that a lot of people long to have in their life. Because yeah. you said like he was, he allowed you to, to share and he was patient. Uh, and he provided that space for you. They didn't feel judged. I think that's so amazing. It, it's so amazing. It's really special. Wow. Wow. That sounds, uh, that sounds amazing, Lindsay. So what are some memories that you hold special between you and your father? Well, definitely, um, definitely those car rides. There was just so many times in my life that I would just end up in a car with just me and him going somewhere. And we would just, we would just talk to each other we would just you know we would it would be our time alone away from everybody else and we could be completely honest with each other we could goof off we could make fun of people if we wanted to we could just tell each other the truth about how we felt about anything and that that to me like I just I cherish that time that I used to have with him and I also you know my dad was a really busy guy with his career as a high school band director he on average, his high school marching band had like, I mean, he built the program to get this big. But by the time I was in high school, the band was well over 200 people, more like 250. Wow. Um, I mean, he touched so many students' lives every year. And he was very busy doing a lot of that stuff. But, you know, that's kind of the cool thing is that I was I was right there with him when I was a teenager in high school. And even before that, every Friday night, I would go to the football game with my dad. I would go help put out the pom-poms for like the little, for the beeliners or put out flags for the flag girls. Or I would, you know, just stand next to him and, and like watch him do his thing. And, and we could just, and my my brothers would come when they got old enough. And I mean, gosh, we were like, at times we were probably like little tears. I mean, we were just running around talking to all the high school kids, um, you know, giving everybody a hard time. And it was just a blast. Like those memories, I feel like, you know, even though he's gone now and and I'm only, you know, some people lose, lose their parents a lot sooner and some lose them a lot later, but he was only 61 when he passed last year. And I feel like that time that we had together, like that was meant to happen. Like, I feel like that was that time together is, I think gonna, I'm going to rely on it in the future when I miss him. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I, I didn't realize uh, that was a marching band. I love marching bands. They're some uh-huh. of my favorite. Oh, they're amazing. You should look up the Medina High School marching band. He was their director from 1980 through 2015. And yeah, he did. A, he, he turned them into one of the best, not just marching band. His symphonic band was incredible. His jazz band mm. was great. He taught the music. He taught the middle school level. So he was my band director from sixth grade through my senior year of high school. He also taught music theory. I mean, he was just like, he was the, he was the, the maestro man. It was really cool. And then when he retired from Medina, because he, he kind of got forced into retirement. He really didn't want, he really wanted to stay longer than 35 years, but they made it really difficult for him to stay. And so he, cause it was a money thing, you know, they could hire someone new and save money mm-hmm. instead of paying someone with all that tenure another year, even though he was like phenomenal. And he even offered to, 
to pay back at the base salary. He was like, you can take me back to year one salary if I could stay here another couple of years. Like it was, it was like that. It was kind of sad, but he decided to work at Ashland university for a year after that. And then unfortunately after that is his health kind of deteriorated and he wasn't able to keep doing that anymore. But you know, he, my, my memories of my dad are pretty much like band memories. There's loads of other memories. Like I can, I can look at my brothers and have a conversation and we could just like talk in Gary. His name was Gary. We could talk in Gary speak for like a whole hour. We were on vacation together, just mimicking his little hand gestures and his sayings. Like it's my memories are are just of him, you know? Yeah, I can I can feel that, especially when you were talking about um going to like a football game and you know feeling the energy around you and having uh like the music a marching band music is just so it's just in your soul it's just crazy it is yeah that's that that's incredible what was some of do you remember some of his favorite music uh like maybe uh like personal music like you maybe in your car rides you just wanted to hear and play <laughs> that's funny you would ask that um. I used to kind of, by the time, like, you know, by the time I was, like, old enough to be rolling with my, around with my dad and we'd be listening to the radio, I'd always ask him, like, Dad, what do you listen to? I, you only ever listen to band music. Because he'd be driving around and he'd have a cassette or a CD <laughs> nice. of whatever they're working on, and he would drive with his knees and conduct with both hands. Wow. He would be, okay, like, <laughs> but I actually just went through his record collection with my mom this past weekend. And there was so much jazz in there. He had Wynton Marsalis and he had, you know, Herbie Hancock, which is like he that's how he got me hooked on records that my yeah. first record was Herbie Hancock because of him. Yeah. Um, you know, he had Dr. Hook in there and he had like. Um, what else? He had like the Green Hornet. He had all kinds of crazy stuff in there from like the 70s. It was so cool to see. And and the other half of the records were marching band material. I'm serious. They used to send them records from the the you know the arrange the the companies that would put out the arrangements would advertise it to band directors who are on a list. And you know nowadays they'll send them CDs, but back then they would actually send a record with like samples of all the arrangements for the season. So like wow. half these records are like. <laughs> but um, but I on our drives together when he would take me to different events and whatnot, or you know, because I was pretty involved as a kid he would let me kind of take control of the stereo. And sometimes I would put like my CDs in. And as I got older, you know, I would put in like Weezer. And I remember he said to me, he'd be like, <laughs> we'd be riding around and he'd be like, I know why they call this band Weezer. And I'd say, why? He'd go, cause they sound like Weezer. <laughs> he was like, he just, but he loved it. He, he was like, they're actually pretty good. And I was like, I know, I, I know. That's why I listen to them. And he also really liked, um, cause I mean, gosh, this would have been like the mid to late nineties. I went on, of course, like a little Dave Matthews kick, but he loved that album that was really saxophone heavy. The Before These Crowded Streets, there was one song on there called Stay, Wasting Time. And I mean, he loved that. He would he would crank it and he would be yelling like the saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> it was really, really cute. <laughs> oh, man, I think I would like uh, I would like that. I would like to talk to your dad. Uh, I think I'd have a good conversation because I like, you know, if you are into music and you're, in, let's say, an audio nerd of some sort, you don't get the opportunity to kind of talk about the nuance of songs and music with anybody. You just sound weird if you do it with regular people. But your dad true. seemed like he'd really appreciate, uh, you know, 
having a talk about like, well, listen to that cowbell in the back. You hear it? <laughs> More cowbell. He, he thought that skit was hilarious. <laughs> he definitely liked that skit. With Blue Oyster called on SNL or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's a classic. <laughs> it's funny. So, so what happened? So he he got basically pulled away from the band, and and you sort of saw that, um, which probably mm-hmm. said like it hurt your heart a little bit, seeing that he couldn't pursue one of his passions anymore. Um, so then what happened? Yeah. He said his health faltered. So could you describe how that went down? Yeah, you know, he had been dealing with um, a lot of different factors. They were just trying to figure out what was um, going on with him. He was dealing with all kinds of just pain and stiffness and exhaustion. And, you know, they were taking him with all these doctors, kind of taking like the, you know, traditional Western medicine route. And, I mean, it was just hard to watch. I think the combination of the depression from him losing his passion, which was his career, and losing it sooner than he thought, and not, and instead of having a proper retirement, the guy should have had a freaking banquet in his honor, like he threw for the band every year. And instead, he got hosed by the school system, and just it was like a messy retirement instead of what he deserved. I still feel bad that we never got to properly honor him until it was posthumously. You, you know what I'm saying? Like that just that breaks my heart. Um, but it was like, you know, I live two hours away. I'm down in Columbus. He was up in Medina. And, you know, myself and my brothers, we're all living our own lives at this point. We're adults. And every time we're checking in, it's just like he's just looking rougher and rougher. And um, he figured out what was wrong with him. I'm not really going to address it on the air for, you know, he's he's passed away. But we'll we'll keep it private. But he was dealing with that. And he um, he got better from the stuff that was bothering him. But he was still dealing with a lot of the symptoms that came with it. And it got to be, you know, around this, it was August of last summer. And I went to a family event. Um, It was my grandmother's birthday. And he was there and he was just dealing with like, he had some chills and he felt like kind of his stomach was upset and he felt pretty weak. And these are all symptoms that we'd watch him dealt with off and on for like the past couple of years. So it didn't raise like a whole lot of red flags, but um, <clears throat> it was just, it was crazy. It was like, uh, it was actually on, that was on August 12th. And then the very next day on August 13th, he actually had, they didn't know it, but he had some small strokes at the house. So my brother and my mom called 911 because they noticed that he wasn't like speaking sensibly all of a sudden, even though he kept on, I guess this is something stroke victims do. He kept on claiming that everything was fine and he refused to go to the emergency room because he's like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Until the first responder shows up who was actually a police officer. So then he like, okay, I'll go, (laughs) you know? So apparently, you know, he, they did like a little stroke assessment and they took him to Medina general hospital, which is like where I was born. It's the city hospital. And he had a really bad fever and they like assessed him there. And they were like, this is, we don't know what's going on with this guy. He just had small strokes and he has a crank and fever. So they sent him to the Cleveland clinic and they put him in the neurological intensive care unit, H 22 in bed one. And they were treating him for the small strokes, but they were also trying to figure out, they had a, they had an infectious diseases team working on him to figure out whatever this bacteria is that his body's fighting, where it is in his body, and what's causing him to be sick. So a day or two into it, 
Um, you know, and of course I got the call. I go up to Cleveland. My brothers are all there. Family's all around. We're trying to figure out what the heck is wrong with dad. So a day or two um, into it, they diagnosed him with endocarditis, um, which is actually a bacterial infection that lives on the, the valves of the heart. Um, anytime like rogue bacteria, my dad had had an injection for his um, arthritis in his back. And that was one of the potential risks when you take a spinal injection is that mm. bacteria could get into your bloodstream. So we don't have the official answer about how bacteria got in his bloodstream, but everyone in, in my family is pretty much like, well, he had an injection like two and a half months ago. The time frame sure makes sense. You know, it was on the paperwork that he signed that it was a risk. So anyway, um, it was a pretty bad infection. You guys, like he had vegetation from the bacteria had floated up his aorta and caused him to have the strokes. Oh, wow. We had a heart infection that caused him to have, you know, strokes. And so, and like I said, you know, he was already in such a, a weakened state from the stuff that he'd been dealing with. We, we didn't really notice the signs, chills, being tired. It just seemed like, oh man, dad's having a rough couple of days again. That sucks, you know? But instead it's like, we find out, no, he has an infection in his heart valves and it's bad and he requires full on open heart surgery. So... And oh, and the other thing they told us was that at any moment vegetation could break off and he could stroke out. So it was a really, really stressful week. We had to wait for the doctors to deem him healthy enough to have the heart surgery. And I'm sure you can imagine all the different procedures that they go through prior to someone having that level of surgery to make sure they're okay for it. It was all just very risky. And my whole family is basically just like living at the Cleveland Clinic. And he went in for the surgery on August 21st. The doctor was able to like take his heart out and hold it in his hand and like scrape the infection off of the heart valve. And he repaired it using like this new technique that he'd pioneered because the one valve was unsalvageable. So they gave him a me mechanical replacement. But this guy, this fancy doctor from Argentina who works at the Cleveland Clinic, like saved my dad's heart. And... Uh, the first few days, I mean, I'll never forget going back in that room and seeing him after surgery, man. That that was like, whoa. It's just you see this whole room that's like keeping this person that you love alive. And it's like, wow. And, you know, the first two days, a couple days were really rough after that. But he made like a sudden, remarkable recovery. And they actually, healthcare in America is a trip. They sent him home six days after this surgery. Wow. And he was happy. He wanted to be home and we were happy for him. But, you know, in the back of my head, I was like six days after open heart surgery and he had strokes before this. OK. Mm -hmm. OK. So, you know, I went to visit him the very next day on on August 28th and I cooked family dinner. And my dad was like he was doing so well. He was laughing and smiling. He was like glowing and sparkling. He had that like glitter in his eye that I hadn't seen in years. Like he was like. He was doing great. And he was, it was like we were seeing the real Gary for the first time in a really long while. And he was literally like carrying his walker around the house. And I was freaking out. I was like, Dad, you need to be careful, man. Like, you have a hole in your chest, basically. Okay. Like, and he'd be like, I got this. And so my brother drove me back to Columbus. I was supposed to work the next day. And I got to my house and funny thing is my my car actually died two days before my dad is it was a 97 nissan Sentra. so my brother came back and he tried to like jump it for me and it was kaput so like he gave me this like sympathetic hug and he like left saying like you know I'll, I'll come pick you up again in a day or two since your car sucks and you can't get up to see dad who almost just died so i'll be back down to get you after you work 
you know, and and so I went home and I went to sleep and I felt this relief that I hadn't felt in weeks. Like, it was just like, oh my God, he's really going to be okay. Like, he's really going to be okay. We can do this, you know, because my brother and I were like brainstorming, how can we help them, you know? And I fell asleep around 11.30 p.m. And at 1.30 a.m., I woke to my Aunt Jenny calling. And I knew it couldn't be good because she's like the nurse in the family. And she's the one who lives in Columbus. And she's like, Lindsay, your dad's in the Cleveland Clinic. And I was like, what are you talking about? I just left him. We just got him home. What are you talking about? She's like, Lindsay, he tried to go to the bathroom on his own in the middle of the night. I don't know how it happened. But while he was in there, he had a brain hemorrhage. And I was like, are you serious right now? Like, I... At that point, I thought I was dreaming, but I, I knew it was real. And she was just like, get your stuff together. I'm picking you up as soon as I can. She picked me up at three and I was in Cleveland by five. And we walked into the waiting room and it was the same unit. He was in the same bed. He was in H22 bed one again. And I was just, and we were in the same waiting room as two, two weeks earlier, except this time, like the doctors had this like super somber tone. And they said that they did their best, but like his brain's flooded and they have to put him in like, so my mom did the paperwork and we had to put him into palliative care for two days. And he passed away two days later with all of us around him. And he was, you know, it was at midnight. It was, <laughs> it was at midnight on August 31st. So he went into the hospital on August 13th and he checked out on August 31st and he was only 61. That's what happened to my dad. <laughs> it's a long story. Wow, but it's like it's intense, right? Like, because you so had the much. hope, the hope came back, and then <sighs> the crushing blow afterwards. I can't imagine what that would have felt like. It because was, you're like, that would have just it sucked. Yeah, <laughs> it was really bad. Um, and, like we took it as a family. Like, you know, my my dad was basically like a local celebrity. There were like three thousand people at his calling hours that we had to do at the high school auditorium because there's nowhere else to like house that many people. Like what was me. that? What was that like for you to see all all that all those people there? It was it was beautiful and it was also really overwhelming because I had had a head injury the year earlier and all the trauma was bringing a lot of my symptoms back. So it was like it was like being at a high school reunion, except it's only the band kids, and it's from the whole thirty years that you watched your dad teach at the high school. And on top of it, your head feels really messed up and you're, and you're afraid that someone's going to try and pat you on the head or something like it was this whole extra layer of like stress on top of my dad's services and stuff because my own health was like going through it at the time. So it was, but I'll be honest, but it was to answer your question about how it was emotionally to see all those people. It was, it was beautiful. Like I've never gone to like a high school. I'm not one of those girls to like go to the 10 year reunion or something like that. But I had it that day. They were they were all there. People drove from Miami, Florida. People drove from like Chicago. Students. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing to see the impact. And I have some of those people in my life that they would like. I'm not in contact with them, but if they were to to die, I would definitely drive out because they influenced my life so heavily. So I think that's a that's amazing that you're able to witness that. Was it because I'm guessing a lot of the people knew you since you would always pop into the band area? <laughs> was it exactly. overwhelming for because the amount of people that probably wanted to talk to you or wanted to um, honor your dad by sort of like sharing a story with you or something? Um, 
Yeah, but people were also, like, very understanding. Like, they tried to do it, like, to have a line come through. And so for, like, the first, I think the calling hours, we had to make them, like, three or four hours long because we knew there were going to be a lot of people. And then his service was the next morning at, like, 10 a.m. So, like, we couldn't stay there crazy late. And so we had scheduled it to go until 9. And, like, at 8.45, there were still almost 1,500 people in line. Wow. So we shook every hand up until that point and we hugged and we shared those stories and it was very healing for us. And we would have stayed until midnight if we could have, but instead they had everybody come into the auditorium and take a seat. And my mom, who's also a band director and who's amazing at holding it together and addressing a crowd, she did her thing. She thanked everyone for being there. She shared like some stories briefly and she just made everyone feel like, like their appreciation for for my dad was appreciated by us. So it I mean it was like it was wild. It was like some some Mr. Holland's opus type stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's so uh I was going to say it's how is your grief coming from that now because he said it's been about a year, right, that he's been dead. Mm-hmm. How is your grief and have you used music as a way to I guess cope? You know, um, my grief is getting there. I actually had a second head injury after my dad died. It was very uncanny. It came the day after my 34th birthday, and um, I took a a second bonk to my head that was completely out of my control. And um, that really, you know, it, it affects your entire nervous system, which in turn affects how you process grief. So this past winter was pretty dark and crummy. You know, it was rough. But I feel like, you know, I'm I'm seeing the light now. It's coming full circle and music has helped me, you know. Obviously like I have this like itching, burning desire to create music now. But the way it's helped me up until this point because I haven't had all the oppor- all the resources to put my musical ideas into actual production yet. So I'm certainly doing that, but there's also like songs that come to me. So like that one that I mentioned earlier, the Idris Muhammad peace of mind, that song came to me on YouTube because I I use it all the time. And through the old algorithms, I was listening to some other jazz track and this song comes on and I was like, Oh wow, this is, this is beautiful. This is awesome. It had this like late seventies, Bob James vibe so cool sounding and just something told me in my heart like your dad is sending you this song right now it sounds cheesy but it felt really real to me and so I just kind of held on to the song and it would kept on it kept on coming up like you know of course I liked it so that probably increased the probability of it coming up right but um I was sitting with my friend Andy who lives up the street from my parents and he is significantly younger than me but he was one of my dad's last students he was like one of the last groups of high school kids that were he was in high school when my dad retired and so we're sitting on his front porch chatting and he's a really good friend of mine and I have some music playing on my phone and that song pops on and he looks at me and he goes your dad used to play this in the office all the time wow I was like Andy are you sure because this is like a jazz track right and at first I didn't know if I should believe him or not but like I was like nah this kid's not lying to me And he starts singing along to the little saxophone riff. And I'm like, oh, my God, he's not lying. What song was it again? 
Idris Muhammad, Peace of Mind. Okay, I'm just going to find it and play it later for myself. You should. It's beautiful. That's amazing how... music helped me in that way, (laughs) you know? And, like, very surprising, too, like, that connection that you didn't even know that was really bonded with your dad, too. So I think that's very beautiful. And I know, like, sometimes when you have a connection with something during grief, you don't want to play it because it brings up too much. Um, But it's nice how you can use that as a way to connect with your father and to process your grief a little oh, more. Yeah. Well, there's, I've, I have a whole, you know, Gary playlist. I have two different Gary playlists on my YouTube channel. I have one that's videos of him actually conducting like all these band parents have uploaded videos of these kids throughout the years. And so whenever I find them, I put them on this playlist because it's a great way to see my dad, the way I remember him healthy in front of a group making music with these kids, doing his thing. I also have another Gary playlist. I call it Dad Drive because I was on a long drive up to his parents' house up in Buffalo when I like kind of put it together. And I've just been adding to it, and it's songs that he used to just love and songs that I associate with him and stuff like that Idris Muhammad that like came to me after he died. You know, I never had the connection with him with that song before when he was alive, but I know it's, I know it's, one that he liked and and that it came to me for a reason you know so it's music's really special i'm curious when uh when you dream do you dream of like music do you hear music in your dreams a lot man i wish that'd be really cool (laughs) actually you know um my dreams tend to be a little more uh trippy than that i guess It'd be cool if my dreams were just like, you know, like beautiful music. and But like, I don't know, sometimes I'm kind of like on missions in my dreams. And sometimes I'm kind of like making connections in my dreams. And other times I'm just having like random dreams of stuff that happened that day, you know. But right, yeah, I, if, if there's music and the music that's been in my dream in the pa- in like the past year, like I've had dreams where I'm making music and dad's conducting. Oh, that's cool. You want to uh-huh. talk about talk about some of those dreams? That's interesting. You know, this is like the Grease Dream podcast. Let's do it, man. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I'm so game. So, right. um, actually, you know, let's you, start what? off. Let's start off with the the first dream you've had of your father, and then we can go into some of the like the music ones. That that sounds perfect because that's kind of like how they happen so I've been keeping track of my dreams because people suggested that to me after he died and also being like a head injury person I was like I do not want to forget these Mm. just in case I am gonna write these down and sure enough looking back through them I was like oh I forgot about that one that one was really cool so um before I had dreams of my dad there was kind of like that shock period he passed away on August 31st and in my notes, I see that like on December 14th, I woke up, but it wasn't like a dream that I had. It was more like I was waking up with like seeing him in the hospital, seeing him with like, it was more post-traumatic stress, I think that was getting me. But it was shortly after that in February that I had the first like dream. And so the first dream I had was I was at my parents' house and my mom tells me we're like standing in the kitchen and she's like, now this was sort of a common phrase for a little while. Cause like I said, my dad was going through some stuff. So she says, you know, we had your father in the ER this morning and apparently like I tried to give her a hug about it, but she was talking to someone else. So I walked out into the garage uh, and I saw my dad walking towards his van and I ran over to him and he was like in his Medina band gear wearing like the green and white loading up the van. 
and I went to hug him, but he like deflected me and said like his stomach was a wreck, which again, that was something I could totally hear my dad saying that like, sorry, my stomach's just a wreck right now. Like, please don't squeeze me. (laughs) And so, you know what I mean? And, And he said like that he had been hurting more than usual, but he was okay. And all of a sudden I realized that it was a dream and I just like woke straight up. So that was kind of like the first contact, I guess, in my dreams. But then like in the early spring, like a month after that, I had like the dream that I'd been, that I'd been hoping for, you know? And um, I call it like the California dream. So I had this dream that my entire family, including like extended family, like aunts, uncles, grandparents, that we go on this big trip to California because my dad's conducting an opera there. And so we like all get on this plane and there's like the extended families going. We all make the trip to see dad conduct this like huge production. And beyond that, like we were involved too. I was performing. I was singing in the chorus. My brothers who are all trumpet and trombone players, they were playing in the pit. And the venue was like this beautiful outdoor garden theater. It was incredible. There were like flowers and plants and birds chirping and like these tall white columns and arches covered in these like lush vines. It was amazing. And and we all just stood there looking at it like in awe and wonder. Like we were just like, wow, like you're conducting here. And so the performance began. And I remember like having, you know, it was like super first person. Like I remember standing up and dancing in the chorus from like the top row of the risers. And I was like dancing with a partner who was like spinning me around. And I was wearing a ball gown and I could look down to the pit and see my dad conducting. And he was wearing like a tux with full tails. The whole cast was like dressed to the nines. Like it was, it was really formal and beautiful. And intermission came and I looked back at the pit and I saw my dad like leading the orchestra members in these stretches, which is hilarious because never in my life have I seen him do that. Like he would like (laughs) look through his stuff and like do his own thing. He would never like, okay. So I saw him step away from the podium and he like crouches down and like takes a seat behind like the pit wall kind of on the ground. So like the audience couldn't see him. And I was like, I went to him, I'm like, dad, are you okay? And, and this is like where it gets, it gets dreamlike. He was smoking something. My dad was never like a smoker uh, as far as I know of. I was like, dad, what you got there? And he's like, oh, nothing, it's chicken. And it like literally turned into like a chicken leg in his hands. And I was like, okay, that's when I started to realize this is a dream. And so I was like, dad, thank you so much for bringing us all to California. I've, I've never been here before. And this is the most beautiful place I've ever seen in my life. And I like went to hug him, but he was like, he had disappeared. And this is so ridiculous. The piece of chicken was like sitting on the ground and his voice was like coming through, but I couldn't make out what he was saying. And it was just getting further and further away. And I sat straight up in bed and I woke up and here's the thing. Like that place did not look, I've never been to California, but I've seen, I've got lots of friends out there, Northern, Southern. There wasn't a palm tree in sight. There wasn't a golden dune. It looked like freaking paradise. That wasn't California. You feel me? It was like really beautiful. That's uh, that's yeah, that's incredible. Though the imagery that you're telling us, uh, it just seems so, um, you know, fantastical. And I, I'm thinking about like if you're, if you're a you know band conductor or you know a, a leader of a band or marching band or orchestra, you know that would be like the championship. That would be like you know exactly. I guess the, a high goal, right? Like because it's it's opera is very elegant so you imagine that like the the venues just got that and the way you described it you know and and so that seems like the you know the pinnacle of like 
you know, everything. So I think that's amazing. That's incredible. Thank you. I thought it was pretty cool too. So I, I had you, a lot. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, how'd you feel afterwards when you, when you had it? Was it something that you, you talked about you know, or did it change anything? I, I woke up and I kind of like, you know, I shook my head and I was like, it happened. The connection happened. Like I'd really, you know, I love my dad. And after he passed, I definitely, you know, I live alone. I don't care if I talk out loud to my house. Nobody's there to judge me but me. I definitely said out loud, hey, dad, if you want to roll through, I'm here. You pick your method. I'm around. I'm open for it. I miss you. So like I felt like all of a sudden it was like, oh, and it was just so real. It was like, I don't. It just felt like I said, I have a lot of different kinds of dreams. And this dream had that like outside influence kind of feeling like it wasn't just from my subconscious. You feel me? It was pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. And it just gave me this weird sense of like um, reassurance, you know, like he's in he's conducting an opera in paradise. He's OK. And smoking. <laughs> and smoking chicken. And, like and, and and then and then Smoking hides it chicken. hides it when you saw it. I love that part because he's like he's still a little bit like he doesn't want to. I'm smoke his kid. Funny. I'm still a kid. <laughs> you know. So, yeah, whatever plant of paradise he's smoking, you know, Man, he's I enjoying himself. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. It's what a what beautiful imagery because you just said like one of the most heartbreaking things was him losing his job, and then yeah. you got to see him. In his passion, in his work. So I think it's yeah. such a beautiful, beautiful dream to, to have. Do you have any more was, after that? Yeah, like a bunch. So oh, I'll really? try <laughs> like a couple. So in, in April, my dad's birthday is in May. So as springtime was approaching, he was definitely on my mind and heart like extra, you know. Um, and so it was like mid-April and I had this dream that I was in a kitchen and that my mom was about to cook something and that she was like insisting on doing it her way. You know, like we were like, hey, baby, why don't you, why don't you cook it this way? And she's like, no, I want to do it my way. And so I look at my dad who's standing next to me on the opposite side of the counter from my mom. And he like silently laughs and gives me a little like sassy mocking face. And then this is like weird. But again, it's a dream. And it wasn't creepy. For some reason, all of a sudden, I didn't have a shirt on. Like I was super vulnerable. And we were hugging. He had just wrapped his arms around me and we just stood there and embraced. And it was like I was melting into just one of his big protective hugs. And again, I like woke straight up. Like I sleep heavy and I was notorious as a kid for not for being hard to wake up. But these dreams wake me up at hours that I don't normally wake up. Oh, that's so interesting. I like that. Uh -huh. I like how you said about the vulnerability of that's like being... I mean being naked or being topless or whatever like there is a sense of vulnerability there and you're just saying in the podcast how he used he was always that person for you to give you that support and exactly. and see you naked almost right in the sense of what you're willing to share like you could share anything to him and absolutely that's, that's so beautiful and i had another dream in springtime too that was really beautiful i just wrote in my notes um dad finds me on a crowded casino floor to hug me mm. so i was like on the main floor of this big Vegas style casino. So my dad, like he always thought Vegas was really cool. He got out there a couple of times. Like he's not a gambler or anything like that. He just, he just wanted to see it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He wanted to see the Hoover Dam. He wanted to see Vegas. He wanted to stay at the Luxor cause it's like the pyramid and it's cool. And so I, in the dream, I'm on the main floor of this like Vegas style casino. 
and I could feel his presence in the room and I'm like looking for him. And all of a sudden I look across the room and we make eye contact and he like ran to me, like pushing through a crowd of people to get to me. And we didn't say anything. We just hugged and I woke straight up. Wow. I love it. Like he, you know, he like really wants me to know that he loves me and then he'll like find me. I, that's, that's what I took from it was like, cause I talked to one of my friends who is definitely, um, had some, dreams with former loved ones too and you know she's one of my she's like my best friend and she was like I think your dad wants you to know that he's always going to be here to make this connection with you he will push through to get to get his energy to you when you need it mm-hmm. you know and um again at that same exact little period of time in April I had another one and this one is this one's kind of crazy okay so this one's a little more in depth. So I had a dream that we were at some kind of amusement park, like maybe SeaWorld or Disney, which he took his marching band to Disney World. I was in the, you know, he would take us as family on trips to like SeaWorld and stuff like that. Um, We weren't woke to like the animal abuse yet. I'm vegan now. Don't worry. So he was with us and it was like we were on a band trip or something, but it was mostly just like myself and my close high school friends. And he looked like really good. He looked like he was in his 40s, healthy weight, good energy. And I remember like running around the amusement park and I was wearing his band director jacket. Like a lot of times when I was a kid, he'd let me wear his jacket. We were riding the tram together. And I remember he was sitting next to me as we rode and I like leaned on him. Like it felt really real. And we, we went, got off the tram and I walked by this big, like jet ski water show. And I, and I like the kind I loved as a kid in the eighties. And I was like, Oh man, I need to watch this. They don't do this kind of stuff anymore. And so, like, I got distracted by the water show, and then all of a sudden I realized, like, at some point after that, that I didn't have my, in the dream, I didn't have my phone anymore, I wasn't wearing Dad's jacket anymore, and I didn't know where Dad was. And all of a sudden, this is where the dream gets, like, weird. So I had, like, a all of a sudden a scrawny, like, pale, lanky kid with, like, these funny white and blue tube socks, like, the imagery is still so strong in my head. He, like, grabbed me by my arm. And he was trying to show me some kind of like weird tool that he had or something. But I, t- I, I like felt really violated. I tore my arm away and I yelled really loudly, like F off and leave me alone. And all the people in the dream that were around me suddenly started, they looked at me really weird. Like they were on to me or something. And so I like took off running. Like I was afraid, like I needed to get away from those people. And I ran into this big ornate eccentric old house that was like on the property. It had like rich wooden floors and trim. And I like ran upstairs and this boy was like following me. I was trying to lose him. I ran into one room and I could still see him coming. And then I ran to another room and I locked the doors behind me and my heart was racing. And it was really weird in the room. There was this big, purple indigo looking stereo futuristic receiver but when I looked at it closer it was actually just like a music box and there's also like a tall tress dresser that had like trinkets on top like a a brooch with a, a cowgirl on it who had like red hair like me um <laughs> and like stuff like that it was just very very weird and um I was still worried about the boy chasing me I felt trapped I, I like ran out of the hall out into the hallway I didn't see or hear him, and I ducked into a bathroom, and in the dream, I walked into the bathroom, I locked the door. I remember looking at, like, the counters, and I saw, like, all the toiletries of whoever lived there, and I I went to use the restroom in the dream, and I woke up, and maybe for the first time in, like, 25 years, I was taking a leak in my bed. (laughs) Like, that dream was that real. I, like, woke up, and I was like, oh, (laughs) and, like, ran to the bathroom, you know, but... It was, like, so weird. It was like I was hanging out with my dad, and all of a sudden it was like, uh-oh, 
like the dream realm's on to you. It's time to wake up. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. It was really, really trippy. That's actually more common than people think. Um, I when I was a kid, I used to <laughs> I used to do that as well. Like yeah. near the tail end of dreams, I would I would you know in the dream I'm I'm going to the bathroom somewhere like peeing, and then I I would wake up and be like oh my god <laughs> like I've I've wet the bed a little bit. My mom can attest to this. Um, but now I I they say this now that you know don't don't. If you if you are in a dream and you can catch it, you know if you're peeing, probably don't do that. Probably doing it <laughs> yeah, real right. <laughs> it's hard to maintain your awareness when you're sleeping. Yeah, you know I think, but that's kind of that's kind of that in between that we can get caught in sometimes when we're half asleep or half awake. You know, I know we don't have like a whole. Lot, I know your podcast is only supposed to be an hour long, but um, I did end up having. You know, there've been the dreams kind of slowed down after the spring and I had one last dream in the spring where like, it was this weird, like city slicker, like single life kind of vibe. And all I remember is that my dad was living in this big high rise apartment on the edge of like a big celestial looking city. And everything had this like weird etheric glow and vibe. And he was like bowling, which I don't ever remember my dad being a bowling fan, but I don't know. He seemed really happy. He was dressed in this pink and purple paisley like 70s style button down polyester shirt. And he had these bell bottoms on that were like red and yellow. Like I could just tell he thought he looked really cool. And he was like confident and relaxed and happy. And he didn't know that I was there. It was like I was just seeing him from the outside, just seeing that he's that he's good. You know, and that was the last dream I had until literally like such good timing. I, he came to me in a dream about a week ago and, you know, ever since I had that last dream at the end of like the beginning of summer end of spring, I've been kicking myself because like, I really want my dad to know that he was my person. Like, I really want him to like, I've done a lot of thinking about it. And like you said, like a lot of people, their parent isn't their best friend. And I'm really starting to realize like what we had was pretty rare and special. And when I think about it, it's like, this isn't even like a game of like favoritism or anything like that. Like my, I didn't just lose my dad. I literally lost my favorite person ever on the whole planet. Like I, there's no one that is ever going to take that cake. He just, it's, it's like something special. I don't, you know, it's obviously I love my family. I love my mother. I love my best friends. Like I have a lot of dang near favorite people, but like my dad was just special, you know? And so I'd been kicking myself for not telling him that in these dreams, kind of like what you were saying, like, Hey, don't take the leak in your dream. Well, I was like, man, I wish I could remember to tell him how much I love him in my dreams. And so I had this dream that and it makes sense because it's marching band season right like the the last two weeks of august is band camp every year and it's really funny i call it gary season because like (laughs) how come it's like so serendipitous how come he literally was in the hospital last year during the two weeks that band camp was going on and he died the night before the first football game and i was just you know so like it's just of course like i'm thinking about him extra right now you know today's the one year anniversary of the last day i saw him smiling and talking and breathing so anyway I had a dream of my dad last week and it was me hugging him and telling him that he's my favorite person on the planet I could like feel his arms around me 
I could feel his heart. I could feel his beard. And it was like, it was a band dream. I, I dreamt that I was in band and I was at band camp and that somehow it came about that my dad, the director died. And it's interesting because my brother Nick also told me that he's had dreams where my dad has died and come back in the dream. So I was envisioning him like, you know, prior to finding out that he, quote, died in the dream, he was like holding the megaphone and like standing in front of the band in the summertime and like clicking out the beat with the drumsticks like he would so the whole neighborhood could hear. And I found out that he, quote, died. And, and I was so heartbroken in the dream. But then it was like, no, we, we're wrong. He's not dead. He's actually alive. He just can't do band anymore. Which is like, if you know my dad, you know how funny that is, okay? Like, so we're all, because band was his life, okay? So that's just, that's why it's funny. So we're all lining up to like form the parade block. And I realized that like, he was alive and I was okay. And that he was okay. And I was like, super grateful. And I was thinking about how hard it was going to be to do band without him, even though like, you know, he's alive, but he can't do band. And then I suddenly felt his presence. And he was standing right behind me, like he was like watching over my row. And I just like shook my head and I got out of formation. Like I ignored the, the other director. And I walked over to him and I was like, I know this isn't the right time for this, but I just want you to know I am so glad that you are alive. I'd so much rather have you alive than standing in front of this band. And I gave him like a big hug and I told him so he knows. I said, Dad, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but you are my favorite human on the whole planet ever. And my dad was a pretty humble guy. He gave me this like sheepish little like Gary look and was like, Psh! and did his little like hand wave. My dad, my dad was Italian. He communicated a lot with hand gestures and facial expressions. <laughs> and I pulled him into this big hug and I could feel his heart beating really strong and that he knew what I was saying. And it like felt so good to hug him. And like I said, I could, I could like feel his like beard on the top of my forehead. Like, and then I woke straight up, like just straight up in bed. And that's, Anytime I've had a connection in a dream with anybody after they've passed, because I have had a couple dreams with other people I was close with after they passed, and anytime it happens, I sit straight up in bed. That's wow. that's where the dad dreams are at currently. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. And I think it's a beautiful that you wrote them all down. Like who? I, like I'm surprised someone suggested that because it's not something you hear a lot. I have a lot of really special, thoughtful people in my life. I'm really lucky. Just like I'm really lucky that I had a super special and thoughtful dad, you know? Yeah, you can definitely hear that with how you told the story and how you told about his life and, and your love for him. And there's something beautiful about that. How his, even though he's not with you right now, the love that you have for him is still so strong and it's so bright and it makes me smile and reflect on my own relationships with like my best friends and also you know my father who also died and you're just like yeah man like there's there's these special things and just you you help me to remember a little more clearly with the, the love that you shared today so i want to thank you for that and it's beautiful that you had someone like that in your life i think that's so amazing thank you thank you for letting me share i i know it's a lot <laughs> Yeah, I just wanted to, to jump on that and say, um, I just love that detail that you, you know, the ability to, to feel your dad's heartbeat, you know, feel his beard. This is amazing. You know, I've never experienced that in a dream. I hope to someday. And I think this is a great, it's a great thing um, to have. This is a memory that you can take with you, the memory of this dream moving forward. I agree. It's definitely already brought me 
a lot of these dreams have already brought me so much peace. You know, it's like, it's just, you know, and, and, and also hearing that, I, you know, I've, I've apparently had the most lit dreams and the greatest frequency, <laughs> but um, my brothers have had dreams too. And my dad, and the message that's come from my dad in those dreams has been the same. It's been like, I love you. I'm here for you. I miss you. Like it's, it's pretty real. It's pretty, it's pretty, pretty real. I think he just really wants us to, I think, I think the sentiments on both sides right now are, are equal. We both just want to make sure the other end knows how much we love him and that we're always going to be there no matter what. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how we need that reminder, you know, like we can have that dream, but then like a month, two months, the life gets, gets a part of you and stress gets a hold of you and you forget. And that's what I love about these dreams is they help us remember you know, and they get us back to a place that feels the best, feels peaceful, feels like we're supported to conquer this mm -hmm. stuff that's in our lives. So I'm really happy you have so many. If you could have one dream tonight of your father, what would that dream be? Hmm. Well, you're right in guessing that I would want to have it of my dad. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's that's not I think that's obvious. Like, I just I want him to come through anytime my my astral door is always open to him and my heart's always open to him and you know i i don't even care what the dream would be they've all been good every single dream i've had with him has been good and they're all like i couldn't even in my in, not in my wildest dreams could i come up with the stuff that's been happening in my dreams so i mean what about a place would there be a place you'd want to visit together Oh, interesting. Or like, We've never been to Italy, but maybe we could hmm. travel there together in my dream. I like that. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, that'd be interesting. They have a lot of nice theaters and um, uh -huh. maybe you can perform at the Coliseum. That would be, be pretty rad. cool. Mm, cool. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll have to focus on that a little bit and see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, all these dreams, it just it's amazing that you've opened up that door and you can have this type of relationship. And that's what this podcast is about is just um, trying to get the information out there and, and communicate with everybody that, you know, these are, these are some real, real things um, and they can really impact your life. And especially if, if you, if you miss the individual, you're having problems, you're struggling, grieving, um, it can make a difference and, and change some things for you. You know, we really, we uh, we see a lot of value in, in in what a dream can give you, and you're a perfect example of someone who's able to kind of uh, express and, and reconnect and and kind of alleviate some some anxiety that might might have been going on about well your father after he passed and and even just to say I, I I care about you I love you and you're my favorite person. Um, that's an incredible thing. I think so too. All right, so uh, just as wrapping up the show, once again, where can people find your show? And if you have any kind of social media handles, I want to shut those out. Um, you know, you can check out my show Peaks and Valleys by visiting www.wgrn.org. Oh, you got doing the radio also... voice. You got yeah. To... Wait, what is this? What is this? <laughs> I thought I was. <laughs> Come on. I thought I was. I was sliding it in there gently. I don't want to overdo it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> but yeah, you can visit wgrn.org. You can listen. You can find my voice all the time on the dial if you live in Columbus, listening to ninety four point one. 
Um, <clears throat> you can also find archived episodes on archive.org by searching Peaks and Valleys. Excellent. Thank you so much, Lindsay, for coming on, sharing this. It takes a lot of courage to do that. Yeah, it's not easy um, to come in and share your 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 loss in your life and also to share your dreams and stuff like that. And yeah, you did a phenomenal job. Thank you so much. Um, you had some amazing dreams with some really cool details. Uh, they were pretty lit. So that's <laughs> pretty awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so thank you so much. Um, so as for our platform, please check us out at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. We did add a donation button and there are perks to those who donate. If you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams group. You can share your dreams or hear more dreams of others. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Grief Dreams and at the Grief Dreams podcast. And as always, we like to end the show with love and gratitude from us to you. Introduce myself. You have introduced yourself. This is a very good conversation.